DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary, presents The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free, with Father Timothy Gallagher. Father Gallagher was ordained in 1979 as a member of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. He obtained his doctorate from the Gregorian University, and he has dedicated many years to an extensive ministry of retreats, spiritual direction, and teaching about the spiritual life. Father Gallagher is the author of seven books published by the Crossroad Publishing Company on the spiritual teaching of St. Ignatius of Loyola and the life of Venerable Bruno Lanteri, founder of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. Father Gallagher is featured on the EWTN series, Living the Discerning Life, the spiritual teachings of St. Ignatius of Loyola. The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free, with Father Timothy Gallagher. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. The third rule is of spiritual consolation. I call it consolation when some interior movement is caused in the soul, through which the soul comes to be inflamed with love of its Creator and Lord, and, consequently, when it can love no created thing on the face of the earth in itself, but only in the Creator of them all. Likewise, when it sheds tears that move to love of its Lord, whether out of sorrow for one's sins, or for the passion of Christ our Lord, or because of other things directly ordered to his service and praise. Finally, I call consolation every increase of hope, faith, and charity, and all interior joy that calls and attracts to heavenly things and to the salvation of one's soul, quieting it and giving it peace in its Creator and Lord. Welcome back, Father Gallagher. Thank you. In your book, The Discernment of Spirits, An Ignatian Guide for Everyday Living, a commentary of sorts is placed at the beginning of the chapter from the way of a pilgrim. If you don't mind, I'd like to read that. That'd be wonderful. Sometimes my heart would feel as though it were overflowing with joy. Such lightness, freedom, and consolation were in it. Sometimes my eyes brimmed over with tears of thankfulness to God. It's a lovely introduction to just what we're about because that's exactly what Ignatius is talking about in the third rule that we just heard and what he calls spiritual consolation. Those We love those moments. Mm-hmm. They're so strengthening. They nourish us. They give us hope and energy for the way. That's what Ignatius is talking about in the third rule. Let's just consolidate that by reading another one of those experiences. And this is from the spiritual journal of Raisa Maritain, who was the wife of the French Catholic philosopher Jacques Maritain. Marvelous story, well worth getting to know. When she and Jacques were students at the Sorbonne, neither had faith. They'd been raised without faith. And their professors, of course, were teaching them that the world has no meaning, that life is absurd and the rest. And she describes how one day walking in one of the gardens of uh, Paris, they decided they would take their professors seriously, and if life had no meaning, they would not live it. They gave truth, whatever that would mean, with a kind of capital T, one year to reveal itself to them, and resolved that if they could not within a year find truth, they would take their lives together. And in the course of that year, through one of their professors, Henri Bergson, for the first time they learned that it was possible to find real objective truth. That eventually led to St. Thomas Aquinas and through the witness of some wonderful Catholics into the Catholic Church. At this point, Raisa has developed a very deep life of prayer. After her death, her husband published this journal, which is why we have it. And on this particular day, she goes to Mass in the morning and winds up spending three hours in prayer. She decides to begin by praying the litany of the Sacred Heart, but she never gets past the first invocation, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. And so she describes in her journal, At the first invocation, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, obliged to absorb myself, my mind arrested on the person of the Father, impossible to change the object, sweetness, attraction, 
then she underlines eternal youth of the Heavenly Father. Suddenly, keen sense of his nearness, of his tenderness, of his incomprehensible love, which impels him to demand our love, our thought. Greatly moved, I wept very sweet tears. Mm -hmm. Joy of being able to call him Father with a great tenderness, to feel him so kind and so close to me. We'll approach that with great reverence because we're clearly on very holy ground. In, uh, in, But these are the kinds of experiences that Ignatius will describe in the third rule as spiritual consolation. When the heart is warmed with God, greatly moved, I wept very sweet tears. As you say, Chris, we love experiences like this and we know the strength that comes to us through them. Well, let's just uh, take a look at the text of the rule itself and then we'll try to say some things about it. So the third rule, Ignatius says, is of spiritual consolation. Now what he does, he doesn't define spiritual consolation. He just gives a list of experiences. This is spiritual consolation, and this, and this, and this. And as we go through the list and kind of get in touch with and understand these, a sense grows within us of what spiritual consolation is, so that when we are experiencing it, we can discern it, we can be aware, and we can understand, we can name experiences. That's the whole point, really, of this rule, so that we can name it. And obviously, the spiritual action to be taken in this case is to accept it, as Raisa does, or as the pilgrim does in the text that we just read a little bit earlier, and be strengthened by it. So Ignatius says, I call it consolation when some interior movement is caused in the soul, through which the soul comes to be inflamed with his, with love of its Creator and Lord. You can see that in Raisa's experience suddenly keen sense of his nearness, his tenderness, his incomprehensible love, and the soul is warmed with a sense of God's love. Let's say I'm praying with, I spend 20 minutes a day praying with scripture, and today I'm praying with Peter in the catch of fish in Luke chapter 5, and I'm trying to be attentive, but my heart is sort of not really stirred one way or another. Maybe I have to fight some distractions at times, and then I come to that point where Peter says, now that the catch of fish has opened his eyes to the fact that the divine is here in Christ, and, and there in the boat, full of fish and almost swamped and, and all the drama of it, he falls on his knees at Jesus' feet and says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. I, I can't be this close to you. And Jesus doesn't argue with him. He just says, do not be afraid, and confirms him in his mission. And as I read this in my prayer, something has touched in my heart. My heart is warmed. Gently my heart is inflamed with love of its creator and Lord. Okay, these would be beautiful experiences of spiritual consolation. As I say this, every one of us is going to recognize that times in which we have been blessed by God to experience spiritual consolation. And then a second experience which is linked to the first. When our hearts are so inflamed with love of our creator and Lord, when we feel that the warmth of that love, consequently, Ignatius says, when it, the soul can love no created thing on the face of the earth in itself, but only in the creator of them all. Well, Chris, I think we all know that tension that we feel at times between the love of God that is real in our hearts and our desire that our lives be lives of love of the Lord, but other pulls as well. You know, it's hard to let go of this place or this occupation or this re relationship if that's necessary. And so there's a tug, a, a, a kind of a struggle between a love of the Creator and a love of created things. In the warmth of the hearts being inflamed and gently set alive with the love of God, all of that tension washes away. And we don't love things the less or people the less, but we love them in the fullest way possible. We love them in the Creator and Lord. I remember a man telling me when he was discerning his vocation between marriage and priesthood, and struggling in various ways with that. There was perpetual adoration in his parish, and he was there for an hour. It was in the early morning, 
quiet, just he and one other person in this church with the Blessed Sacrament exposed. And as the hour continued, a point came when a very real sense of the Lord's presence before him in the Eucharist stirred within his heart. And a very deep sense of how how warmly and richly God loves him welled up within him. And in the joy and peace and warmth of that sense of being loved by God, he found himself saying very easily with no struggle at all, Lord, whatever you wish. If it's marriage, if it's priesthood, just let me know and I'll do as you as your will will be shown to me. That's what Ignatius is getting at. Experiences of spiritual consolation, times in which when our hearts are warmed with a sense of God's love and we feel that our love of all other things is is only a love in the Lord Jesus. Those are beautiful gifts when God gives them to us. Mm-hmm. Then Ignatius speaks of tears. Likewise, when it sheds tears, and these are all in relationship with the love of God, when it sheds tears that move to love of its Lord, whether out of sorrow for one's sins or for the passion of Christ our Lord, tears tears can express many things. They can express anger, bitterness. There can be tears that express the tearing apart of a human heart. These are very different. These are tears that are related to the love of God. These are the, the woman walks down the corridor we mentioned last time with her heart heavy, the doctor's appointment, sees the footsteps placard on the wall. Her heart lifts up knowing that the Lord is with her, and just the beginning of a tear comes to her eye. This beautiful experience is a spiritual consolation, and I am sure that as I say this, as, as we hear this, we'll recognize times in our lives. We know the kinds of tears Ignatius is describing, and, and we bless God for them when we know the strength that comes through them. Spiritual consolation. Tears for sorrow for one's sins. The woman in Luke chapter 7 enters the Pharisee's house and never says a word, but says everything with her tears and washes the Lord's feet and dries them with her hair. You can sense that those are tears of of consolation. Those are the physical expression of a heart that finally, perhaps for the first time, knows itself welcomed, understood, loved, healed, set free to begin a new life of freedom from sin. We'll return in just a moment to The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free with Father Timothy Gallagher. Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, which is a 501c3 fully tax-deductible nonprofit organization dedicated to evangelization and spiritual formation through the use of new media. Discerning Hearts creates engaging multimedia specializing in podcasts and radio broadcasts, faithful to the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and its rich, authentic spiritual tradition. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to support our efforts. We charge nothing for any of the programs that are available on Discerning Hearts, and our outreach is literally to the world. Please tell a friend about Discerning Hearts and either download our free apps, which are available at iTunes and Google Play stores, or visit discerninghearts.com. We now return to The Discernment of Spirits, Setting Captives Free with Father Timothy Gallagher. It, they're so dramatically different, too, where you have the gentle weeping that might be happening as opposed to the almost violent tears that come from to be able to wash one's feet. Maybe it's just as a girl, I've experienced them both, you know, where you just have the gentle weeping that comes, but that 
that force that comes from those types of tears that you you could almost imagine you could wash someone's feet because you just it wells up so those experiences those consolations have there are degrees to the I'm using the term force I don't know if that's appropriate but the power of that action within our hearts another oh, that's a wonderful observation and points out that consolations do vary in intensity they can be very a gentle uplifting of the heart or they can be a very intense uplifting of the heart and the tears can express the varying degrees of intensity Raisa says, greatly moved, I wept very sweet tears. That would be much more reverently on the more intense end of consolation. So consolations vary in intensity. They always bring a blessing, but they can vary in intensity and also in duration. The woman who walks down the corridor, it's just a moment, just the beginning of a tear, and the moment passes, but it leaves its blessing. Raisa, it's three hours of prayer. Could be even longer, days, uh, when the warmth of God's love is with us and tears come easily. So our consolations very much uh, can vary both in intensity and in duration, very much so. Ignatius then speaks about every increase of hope, faith, and charity. These are very concrete experiences. So for example, increase of hope. I pray every day for 20 minutes with scripture in the morning. I love the practice. I know its fruitfulness, but the last week or so has been dry and difficult. And today, I rise, get things settled, I'm in the place where I pray, I begin, and it feels dry and difficult again. And everything in me says, this is going to be just as dry. I'm going to try to be faithful, but it's going to be just as dry and difficult as the preceding days have been. Let's say I'm praying with um, John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Have faith in God. Have faith in me. And I read through the verses of John 14. Nothing really seems to speak to my heart. And I begin the second time to read it. And this time... Let not your hearts be troubled. Have faith in God. Have faith in me. My heart is gently touched. And the burdens maybe that are in my heart in these days are blessed in some gentle way by that word. And I find myself, as my heart is gently uplifted, I find myself thinking, I'm glad I'm here. Lord, you may have yet more than I realize to give me before this time of prayer is up. Can you see, you can see the the, the mm-hmm. increase of hope. The heart is uplifted and there's a, a felt sense of increase of hope. But these would be experiences of spiritual consolation. Increase of faith, let's say I'm at daily mass with goodwill and good intentions. Maybe I'm a little tired, I'm somewhat distracted as we go through the mass, a little bit in and out with my attention. We get to the consecration and the priest says the words, this is my body, and lifts up the consecrated host. As he does so, my attention is caught and I find myself just aware in a fresh way of the truth of the fact that this really is the living presence of the living Lord Jesus before me, and something warm stirs a bit in my heart, an increase of faith. I always believed, but in the experience of spiritual consolation, there is a felt perceptible increase of that. And love, the times when I feel the warmth of God's love, and in God, the love of neighbor. Other times I may not feel it so much, but in the times of consolation, I will feel that in a way that's, maybe I'm praying with the first the text of the first great commandment, love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, your neighbor as yourself. And as I read that, something in my heart is lifted up and is drawn to that and is attracted to that and desires that and feels an energy and a delight in that. These would be experiences of an increase of love in the way that Ignatius is uh, saying to us in the third rule. And then finally, Ignatius speaks of all interior joy. Interior means spiritual all interior joy that calls and attracts to heavenly things and to the salvation of one's soul. I remember reading in the biography of Monsignor Ronald Knox, who was an Anglican priest who came into the Catholic Church 
did wonderful, wonderful work as a chaplain at Oxford and through his writings and translation of the Bible and many other things, describing how in the first months of his entrance into the Catholic Church, he would literally almost run down the street to the nearby Catholic Church in in his longing and desire and the attraction of being before the Blessed Sacrament in prayer. Many years later, uh, a bishop commented that, um, just never forgetting the image of seeing Monsignor Knox at prayer at that time in his life, and said, I have seen people in love with God. Now, that's what Ignatius is getting at, the, an interior joy in spiritual things that kind of lifts the heart upward. There is a, a beautiful upward call and attraction toward what Ignatius calls heavenly things and the things of salvation. So that in the time of consolation, and we can all think of times in our own lives, when we have loved praying with scripture, for example, we have looked forward to getting to Mass during the week, certainly on Sundays. We have loved the gift of the sacrament of confession and the newness that it brings into our lives. We have rejoiced in our vocation, in the various impurity and service of God, the things of heaven, so that in the experience of spiritual consolation, in the joy of it, our hearts are called and attracted. We love, long to be close to, to experience, to be living in the things, of, uh, heavenly things and the things of salvation. And finally, Ignatius says in the rule that the consolation quiets the soul. It's always the opposite of the, dis the disquiet of the, des of the enemy's action, quieting it and giving it peace in its creator and Lord. So these are the experiences that Ignatius describes in the third rule, and I think he achieves his purpose. By the time we have followed him through these various experiences, we're pretty well equipped to name, be aware, understand, take action, to understand and name such experiences when God gives them to us. Briefly, let's focus on the initial little introductory sentence in this text of the third rule. The third is of spiritual consolation. The third rule is of spiritual consolation. I call it consolation when some interior movement is caused in the soul, through which the soul comes to be inflamed with love of its Creator and Lord, and, consequently, when it can love no created thing on the face of the earth in itself, but only in the Creator of them all. Two words, spiritual consolation. Consolation very simply means an uplifting movement of the heart. Joy, hope, peace, and so on. Consolation means an uplifting movement of the heart, and Ignatius is talking about spiritual consolation, that is, consolation on the level of my relationship with the Lord, on the level of the spiritual life, on the level of faith. So Raisa experiences a great joy in the Father's tenderness and closeness, or the man who, at the elevation of the consecrated bread, experiences with an uplift of heart and increase of faith. These these are experiences of an uplift of heart, joy, hope, delight, very much on the level of relationship with God and spiritual things. That's what Ignatius is talking about in these rules, experiences of spiritual consolation. Because there are also experiences of what we could call non-spiritual consolation. Mm -hmm. Non-spiritual doesn't mean bad necessarily at all. They're very healthy non-spiritual consolations. For example, you get healthy exercise and you feel good. You delight in the beauty of a scene of nature, time spent with friends, the love between a husband and a wife, just very beautiful. It's hard to even simply call them non-spiritual. They're so close to God when they're lived in Christ. A task that is at hand, we spend our energies and it's well done and there's an uplift of heart. And we could go on with these, the list of these kinds of natural joys that God has built into, into our lives. These are beautiful, 
they are a gift from the Lord, but Ignatius is speaking about specifically spiritual consolation. It's important to understand the difference between the two because, it, as you said, the non-spiritual consolation is can be a, a really wonderful feeling, and it can stem from good things and, and bring us that, but it's not what you want to base a discernment on necessarily. And I know that that's a whole other discussion about consolation and versus consolation, but, but at the very, very basic level, knowing what's spiritual and what's non-spiritual is really vitally important, isn't it? It makes uh, an important difference because, as the title says, this is about discernment of spirits. Ignatius is speaking specifically on the spiritual level and helping us to discern spiritual experiences. But having said that, by the same token, what's going to happen is that most of the time, spiritual consolation is likely to arise as God's gift out of the heart of an experience of non-spiritual consolation. There's only one human being, finally, and very often the two are going to go together. One way of um, presenting this is through an experience of St. Therese of the Child Jesus. This is in the last months of her life. She is in the Garden of the Carmel, the interior cloister, together with her older sister, who was also a member of the Carmelite community. And it was her sister who later described this. This is how we have it. As they're standing in the garden, there in front of them is a tree, and beneath the tree is a mother hen and with outstretched wings, and heads of the chicks are just peeping out from the safety of the mother's wings. And Therese stops and looks at this, just kind of charmed by this scene from nature. All right, at this point, if we can reverently approach this experience, Therese is experiencing a very healthy, non-spiritual consolation. She does what any of us would do if we saw a scene like that. We would stop and enjoy the sight, like we might enjoy a sunset or a vista over the ocean. Um, there's a kind of just healthy delight in a beautiful scene from nature. So Therese is experiencing spirit, non-spiritual, very healthy non-spiritual consolation. As she's looking, her, suddenly her sister notices that Therese's eyes are filling with tears. And her sister says to, to you, you're crying. She put her hand over her eyes and cried even more. I can't explain it just now. I'm too deeply touched. That evening, back in her room, her sister says she told me the following, and there was a heavenly expression on her face. Cried when I thought how God used this image in order to teach us his tenderness toward us. All through my life, this is what he has done for me. He has hidden me totally under his wings. Earlier in the day when I was leaving you, I was crying when going upstairs. I was unable to control myself any longer, and I hastened to my room. My heart was overflowing with love and gratitude. And again, it's holy ground. We'll approach it reverently. For the sake of the learning, a very, just a, a kind of charming, non-spiritual consolation, delight in a scene from nature. But as Therese watches this, suddenly it dawns on her that this is the image that God uses in the scriptures to show his faithful, protecting love for his people. Jerusalem, how often I would have gathered you as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings, or in the Psalms, hide me in the shelter of your wings. And at this point, tears of gratitude begin to well up in Therese. As, she, as, as what she's seeing before her is the visible image of a truth that God wants us to know in the scriptures of his faithful, protecting love for his people. I think we can see that at this point, a, non a healthy non-spiritual consolation has become the springboard, the space into which God has given the gift of a, of a spiritual consolation now, a joy in the Lord. 
for his faithful love in our lives. And actually, there's a further step yet in this, because Therese further realizes as she sees this image before her, this is not only the image of God's love for all of his people, this is the image of my own life. This is what he has done throughout my whole life. He has hidden me in the shelter of his wings. And as we know her life, there was nothing easy about it. Her mother's death when she was four, the death of five of her brothers and sisters at a young age, her father's severe illness, and at this point she is herself in in advanced stages of the illness which would eventually take her life. And yet through it all, Therese can see God's faithful, protecting love in her life. And at this point her, her tears well up so powerfully that she can't speak. Chris, this gets back to what you said earlier about differing levels of intensity. This feels almost too analytical, but it's just for the sake of um, the teaching in St. Ignatius. You can see this is a very intense consolation. Her tears fall so intensely that it's only that evening that she can even talk about the experience. So this makes an important point, really. Even though Ignatius is talking about spiritual consolation in these rules, nonetheless, for the sake of our spiritual lives, it is important that we have a certain amount of healthy non-spiritual consolation because very often that will be the space in which God can bring grace. It almost seems, Father, that the difference between the two, with the non-spiritual and the spiritual, is that the spiritual will have this thread that connects it to heaven. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's almost like you could look at puppies playing, and they look cute, and you have the feeling, well, that's a really cute scene, and you may even go, ah. But if somehow it connects you in your heart's, like Therese says, and they quote that in the catechism, your heart surge towards heaven, then that's that's how that spiritual, that's how that is connecting it, that's making when it you holy. Know, yes, that's when you know that this is the grace of spiritual consolation, because it's important to say, we can do things to bring on non-spiritual consolation. For example, I can get exercise, I'll feel better. I can put on beautiful music and my spirits may lift a bit. I can go out and walk and see scenes of nature. I can spend time and have a meal with a friend. There are, th- there are things we can do. And actually, as I'm saying, it's healthy that we do a certain amount of that, not only f- as good stewards of our humanity, as God calls us to be, but for the sake of our spiritual lives. But the spiritual consolation is never something that we can make happen on our own. It's only something that we can open our hearts to receive but it will always be the gift and grace of God. So this is the third rule. And this is what Ignatius wants us to get familiar with so that we can name it. Again, let's go back to the big three. I love your phrase. (laughs) So that we can, when we are experiencing spiritual consolation and we are aware, we can name it, understand it for the spiritual consolation that it is so that we know that our appropriate response is to accept the light. And like the man at Mass on Sunday when the inspiration and in the warmth of God's love He feels the inspiration to pray the 10 minutes each day. Thank you, Father. It's always my privilege. You've been listening to The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free with Father Timothy Gallagher. To hear and or to download this conversation along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation 
which is fully tax-deductible to help support our mission. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The Discernment of Spirits, Setting the Captives Free with Father Timothy Gallagher.